You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we're going to visit with our weekly contributor, Peter King, from the MMQB, Mike Jones from USA Today, and former Patriots tight end, Jermaine Wiggins. And Brian, we're going to kick off the podcast today with former NFL lineman and three-time Super Bowl champion, Randy Cross. Randy, thanks so much for coming back on the show. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How you doing, Stu? Hey, what's up, baby? How you been, man? It's good to hear from you. And, and of course, this is your time of year where you truly shine because you've been in a, a multitude <laughs> of these games. But when you look at these two teams uh, and, and see how, you know, how, let's just say, lopsided the quarterback position is, even though you see that that team in, in Philadelphia, I think defensively is about as good as it gets. Offensively, they're as creative as it gets because Doug Peterson does a phenomenal job. Do you think they have enough to go out and beat the GOAT that some would say is the GOAT? I won't say that to you because you play with one of the best, if not the best ever in Joe Montana. But do they have enough to beat this New England Patriots team? Um, I, I would like to say, yeah, they do. You know they've got the they've got the the running game and the wherewithal from that standpoint. I think they've got a very good offensive line that's had a had an excellent season. Um, you know, and Ertz's play at tight end has been absolutely critical to how they can move the ball. Um, and you know, who who wasn't impressed with the way that Nick Foles played? So if you can have another one of those kind of performances. I think if you believe you can do that back-to-back, yeah, you give Philadelphia a chance better than, I guess, the odds makers give them. But, um, you know, you give them a good chance of, of pulling it off. I think that defense and that just the way they prepared and the way that they sort of assaulted Minnesota after that first drive. It's weird how many times we've seen that, though, isn't it? That, you know, big game like that, first team gets the ball, drives down, score a touchdown. And then they can't play dead after that. Philadelphia just completely took the air out of them and took that game away. Randy, I want to be totally transparent. I'm a Northern California guy, did radio and TV in San Francisco for 15 years. So I need you to be more objective than I am with my analysis. How would you compare your Niner dynasty and what you guys achieved to what the Patriots are currently doing? Because you're hearing this about New England. Their accomplishments might be slightly more impressive given the free agency and the salary cap. You know, given what they've done from 01, it's hard to argue that, you know, that's not as impressive as anything that anybody's ever done in the game. I'm a huge Belichick fan. I give him and the way that he's sort of made do and massaged that, both that staff and that organization, um, a world of credit. But, yeah, I mean, this is this is the church of what's happening now. I mean, this isn't what was. This is what either is or what's going to be and, and what's currently going on, there's nobody that can even touch them. The only caveat I would move to present in this whole thing with the Patriots is their success is as much a credit to them as it is an indictment against the rest of the league because the rest of the league has got, they're doing the penguin walk for the last 15, 16 years. They got their pants around their ankles because Belichick's making the rest of them look foolish. 
Yeah, he is, because every time he plays he plays against all the great ones, whether it's Ben Roethlisberger, whether it's Peyton Manning, whether it's Joe Flacco. I mean, he just really comes in and, and does a tremendous job. But give me, you know, the comparison thing is a big part of why guys get drafted so early, because they like to match him up to a, another player like this kid, mm-hmm. uh, Baker Mayfield. They like to say he's the he's the next either Case Keenum or uh, the next kid, Russell Wilson, out of Seattle. But give me your take on Joe Montana and Tom Brady, and how much alike are they? Well, I think part of what Tom has become as a quarterback is based on what he saw growing up. And I know when I first, you know, started watching him, I did their preseason by about for about ten years. Um, you know, basically from '01 to '11 or so. And you know, you watch him throw, or you watch the rhythm with which that offense is executed. It's eerily similar to the way that, you know, Joe ran Bill Walsh's offense. I mean, it was just very much alike. Um, the difference being, you know, there's always different coordinators, but, you know, the, the head coach is always the same. And I think in that, that's when I think Belichick doesn't get enough credit because I think for as many different people as they've had running that offense, I think the bottom line is he, uh, Belichick has a lot of input on how a guy like Brady has learned and how he's played. Because just think of the advantage of having – and you had that for some, too, Cordell. You know, you've got a head coach and you've got coaches around you that are legitimately defensive guys, and I mean really smart defensive guys. You know, you can pick those brains about going against other defenses, and you get tips and you get things that other guys don't get. So I think that combination of what he's gotten from Belichick and just the fact that, you know, he knew what great looked like, I think, before he even had an idea that he could be that good. Randy Cross is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Randy, as a Niner great, you have to love what Jimmy Garoppolo has done in the Bay Area. But from the Patriot point of view, why do you think Belichick gave him away for merely a second-round pick? Well, I mean, really, realistically, and I've heard people write about a, a, a gazillion different series about this, but, you know, are you really going to get more from a guy that's basically a free agent? Uh, are you really going to offer a guy... million a year, you know, that they allegedly did. Um, Are you going to franchise your backup quarterback? Um, Even with the cap going up the way it has, you can't, you can't afford to do that. That's just not, that's not realistic. I, I think what they did is they've got a really good value from a team that had the extra picks to, to give them a, a really nice pick in the second round for this coming, you know, this May draft, that they can get a, a guy that can be there for a while. I mean, no, no telling. They might even be able to draft a quarterback in that slot. Randy, it's very rare when you have a, a player come from another organization at the time in which Jimmy Garoppolo did to San Francisco. And when watching the other quarterbacks in Bethard and Brian Hoyer, you saw a little bit of anxiety in their drops when it came down to dropping back and throwing the football. But when you saw Jimmy Garoppolo – it seemed as rhythmic as it could get, as if he's been around for maybe a year to two years within his Kyle Shanahan's offense. How good is that? Or, or is that coming from the Josh McDaniels of the world and how they taught him how to be a quarterback? Or that's just who he is? Because it seemed like he's been around there for some time. Yeah. Hey, and I mean, Cordell, you know about the rhythm in the passing game and you know a lot more than I do. But being around it, you know, around a guy like Bill Walsh, it was all about the attention to detail and the footwork 
and the steps. And, you know, receiver takes X amount of steps while the quarterback takes X amount of steps. That foot goes in the ground and that ball's out. Sorry, you can't stop it. And when, and when offensive football is executed the right way with that kind of timing, um, it's, it is indeed almost impossible to stop. And, and he was raised, you know, with that Patriot offense around a guy like Brady with exactly that. I mean, come, and he comes to San Francisco, and he's already in a situation where the guy that's calling the plays likes that style, and they're almost able to, in a pretty short order, kind of share a brain when you're talking about calling plays and, and execution, you know, that's as, that's as much as you could ask for. I, I would think on both sides of that equation between the, the coach, the front office and, and the player. Randy, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Always a pleasure. Finally, since you are a deserving member of the college football hall of fame, what's it going to take to get our friend Cordell Stewart into that hall? Because we both know he threw one of the greatest Hail Mary passes in the history of college football. <laughs> I tell you what, it's a, it's a heck of a criteria. Um, you know, for that hall. And it takes a while. I tell people all the time, you know, my last game was New Year's Day, 1976. I got in, uh, I was inducted in July of 2011. So I'd like to say it's a long process, and I'd like to say I'm patient. I'd like to say <laughs> both of those are true. So you're saying there's a chance for Cordell. He just got to I'm hang saying in there. there's a chance. <laughs> All right, Randy. Well, we Heisel, he, he's got new Heisel's vote. I know that. That's my man. You know it. <laughs> Thank you, Randy. My pleasure. Thank you. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. It's a new year and time for you to explore new podcasts on TuneIn. Bring in 2018 with exciting new podcast episodes for the whole family like Story Pirates, This Podcast Has Fleas, Tumble Science for Kids, The Alien Adventures of Finn Caspian, and so many more. Start your new year with these podcasts and more. Just search podcasts on TuneIn today. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Next on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, let's go round the league with Peter King from the MMQB. Now, it's time for 2010 National Sports Writer of the Year, Peter King from MMQB on the NFL on TuneIn. Peter, thanks for taking the time. Now that Pat Shermer is officially the new head coach of the Giants, there had been a perception as the team continued their coaching search that they were targeting Josh McDaniels, Matt Patricia. So Shermer, in effect, could be their third choice. You know the Giant fan base well. How do you think they're going to react to that? Um, well, I, I mean, I don't necessarily accept that he was their third choice or that he could have been. I don't know what choice he was. I do think the Giants probably would have really liked Matt Patricia. But that's that's my speculation based on a couple of things. But you know, again, I think Pat Shermer is a good choice for this team at this time for a very simple reason. You know that you've got a decision to make long term at your quarterback position. I will be exceedingly surprised, exceedingly surprised if uh, they come in with Eli Manning as their quarterback for the next three or four years. 
I just can't see how Dave Gettleman could come to that conclusion, the general manager, uh, especially when you have the second pick in the draft, whereas there are some prospect quarterbacks. And the other reason I can't see it is that since the last time Eli Manning played in a Super Bowl, February 2012, in those six seasons since then, he's thrown more interceptions than any quarterback in football. He's been at the bottom in almost every statistical category. Uh, and so uh, other than yardage. And I just I just think that the Giants understand that this is time for maybe not a clean break, but it's time to get the next quarterback ready to play. Speaking of the quarterbacks, Marcus Mariota has somewhat underachieved in a sense of being able to stretch the field with throwing the football with uh, Mike Malarkey. Do you think Mike Vrabel actually comes in from a defensive standpoint mentally, be able to come in and help him out? You know, I think Vrabel has thought of bringing in uh, a few different uh, quarterback coaches and or offensive coordinators, uh, one from his past at Ohio State, uh, you know, and others who have uh, long NFL experience. And look, this is obviously the most crucial uh, hire he's going to have on his coaching staff without any question. And my feeling about that, Cordell, is, and you played this position. When you were young in the NFL and you still had a lot to learn in the NFL, you know, the guy who is with you every day, the guy who becomes your mentor, I, I, I don't think it's an overreach to, to say that this guy, this next coach of Marcus Mariota is going to be the most important person who will determine whether he succeeds or fails in the NFL. And that's why I view this clearly as Mike Vrabel's most important hire. And look, a lot of people might say, well, geez, why didn't you go offense? Uh, why, why, didn't, why didn't John Robinson, the GM of the, of the Titans, go offense? And I think it's because so many people look at Mike Vrabel as one of the best leaders, potentially, that they've seen around the NFL. I've heard him compared to Bill Cower, heard him compared to Tom Coughlin. So, you know, we'll see. But Vrabel knows that he can't get this one wrong. Peter King is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Peter, how do you see the relationship between Le'Veon Bell and the Steelers, which has gotten a little bit more contentious playing out in the offseason? What's the likelihood Bell could be playing for another team next year? I think it's pretty good, honestly. Um, <clears throat> I think that he's made so much noise about not wanting to play on the franchise tag again, which I think is about $14 million uh, for him this year. And, you know, the problem is the Steelers have some significant cap problems. Ed Bouchette wrote about it very well in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette on Saturday. And, uh, you know, Ed Bouchette has the ear of the people inside that organization. And he thinks it's a very legitimate possibility that they're going to let Le'Veon Bell walk. Uh, even if they were able to sign him to a contract, say a four-year deal that would average uh, pick a number, $11 million, maybe $12 million, you know, that is something that even with the cap going up $12 million this year is going to hamstring this organization. And look, I believe that he's the second most important player in that organization right now, next to Ben Roethlisberger. I believe that I would rather personally go into a game uh, with uh, Ben Roethlisberger and Le'Veon Bell in the lineup uh, rather than Ben Roethlisberger and, and Antonio Brown without Le'Veon Bell 
because I think they have enough receiver uh, options other than Brown. And so to me, this is crucial. But but I believe that the the Steelers have a history of not uh, of not basically mortgaging their cap, mortgaging their future on any one non quarterback on their team. And that's why. I think unless Le'Veon Bell is a little bit more realistic, at least as far as what the Steelers think is realistic, uh, I think there's a decent chance he'll play somewhere else in 2018. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point of saying the Steelers realistic, being realistic because it's different than everyone else's. And from what I'm hearing, it sounds like there may be an extension uh, to Ben Roethlisberger's contract, which may validate exactly what you're saying. But if there was a place for Le'Veon Bell to go, Peter, do you see him wearing an Oakland Raiders uniform with John Gruden? I think Gruden loves Le'Veon Bell. Look, what coach doesn't love Le'Veon right. Bell? And, you know, look, I, I, I think that Marshawn Lynch did some good things for that team last year. But, hey, Jack Del Rio told me in midseason that, you know, when Le'Veon Bell or when uh, Marshawn Lynch, you know, he was really being spotted. You know, he wasn't the workhorse back mm-hmm. that uh, that he had been earlier in his career. And, of course, you know, when you when you pass 30 years old, you're not going to be a guy who's going to carry it every every game, 23, 25 times. But Le'Veon Bell is that kind of back. And as much as I'm sure that people around Oakland love Lynch, love having him on their team, you, know, you can't look at him as sort of your franchise back. He just doesn't have that many carries left in him. All I'm saying is, I think I think Oakland would be very much a team to watch if Bell were available. Peter, last one for me. I know you're a huge sports fan overall. Has Bill Belichick already moved into the same category as John Wooden, Scotty Bowman in hockey? We can go Miller Huggins with the Yankees in the 1920s. Among the greatest we've ever seen, and what would one more Super Bowl victory mean for his legacy? You know, I I think that question's going to be asked next week, but I I don't know what more – Bill Belichick, if he if he wins this game or if he loses, I don't really think it's going to change his legacy all that much. Um, the same with Tom Brady. If after last year you didn't think that Tom Brady, at least in my opinion anyway, isn't the best quarterback of all time, I, I mean, what's one more win in a Super Bowl going to do? But I, I think it's just – I think it's amazing that in a 17-year span, 17 football seasons – Bill Belichick wins eight conference titles. He's in the Super Bowl eight times. It's just absolutely unheard of in a salary cap era. I don't think it's ever going to happen again. I'm not saying it's impossible, but, you know, I I think, and I wrote this recently, guys, that, that think about this, okay? We always viewed that the gold standard of owner, coach, quarterback was Eddie DeBartolo, Bill Walsh, Joe Montana, at least I did. That owner-coach quarterback uh, uh, triumvirate lasted 10 years. Bob Kraft, Bill Belichick, Tom Brady have been together in Foxborough for 18 years. It's just, it's incredible for all three of them, actually. I can see an owner owning a team for 18 years, but it isn't often that a coach coaches the same team for 18 seasons. Never mind a quarterback being on the team for 18 years and starting for 17. We're seeing something, guys, that we will never, ever, ever see again. Simply astonishing. Peter, as always, we value the insights. Look forward to chatting with you again Thursday on the NFL on TuneIn. 
Thanks a lot, guys. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Catch all new episodes of some of your favorite podcasts early with TuneIn First Play. You can listen to new episodes from some of your favorite shows, like Haunted Places by Parcast. Every episode, I take you to the scariest haunted places on Earth. Hollywood and Crime by Wondering. We also tested the purse for fingerprints. Nothing viable there either. And Uncivil by Gimlet before they're available anywhere else. Where we ransack America's past and discover that history is only kind to those who write it. Search First Play Podcast and listen early. Listen often. Listen today. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now we're joined by Jermaine Wiggins, the former Patriots tight end. Jermaine, thanks for coming back on the show, and we know you keep it real. You keep it 110, so tell like it is. When the Jags had a 20-10 to 10 advantage in the fourth quarter, did you ever think the Patriots were in real trouble? Uh, no, never in real trouble. Was I concerned a little bit? Yes, but never in real trouble. you got to understand, they came back from 28-3 to 3 last year against the Falcons in the Super Bowl. So there's, there's always a little bit of concern, but you're, 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 you're the emotion of they're going to come back and win overtakes that. So I think that's ultimately, you know, how most Pats feel, uh, Pats fans feel is that even if we're down, we're still going to come back and win this game. Yeah, and after doing it so many times over the years, I mean, you can go all the way back to the time in which in 2001 you guys had an opportunity to go to Super Bowl in New Orleans. You know, just think about that Oakland game where he had a call or two your way and, you know, then all of a sudden you have a, a dynasty that's formed there with with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. But when you look at what Jacksonville did to them and and knowing that they have to play Philadelphia next, you know, playing a ball control game can work against the team because they can go no huddle in in, in New England and and make you and force you to have to throw the football maybe the way you don't want to. But that philosophy that we saw with Jacksonville, it looked like it worked. You may just need a quarterback that maybe can make some quality throws uh, in key moments where it can possibly scare you guys in New England when playing against a team like that. Am I right? Well, I think, like you said, but the key point that you made is when you have a quarterback that can go out there for the opposing team and make those plays. And you know, you look at Jacksonville, you know, Blake Bortles, even though he had a great first half, it's always going to come down to the end of the game where a coaching staff says, hey, you know what, we're not going to get conservative here. We're going to put it in our hands of the quarterback at times. You look at the Philadelphia Eagles, same thing. You're dealing with a, you're dealing with a, uh, a Nick Foles. The Philadelphia Eagles, are they going to get in a position where if they happen to get a league, are they going to get conservative and say, hey, listen, we're not going to necessarily put it in the hands of our quarterback. That's the problem with teams that do ultimately play the Patriots is you've got to have a quarterback and a coach that says, you know what, we are not going to let up because we know that number 12 and Bill Belichick are on the other sidelines. And if we let up a little bit, there's a good chance – they're going to come back and win this game. And I think ultimately that's what we saw with Jacksonville. Uh, you know, the Patriots have to do a better job against Philadelphia, especially in the first half of not putting themselves in a hole where they ultimately get down 20 to 10 or 14 to 3 or 14 to 10, whatever it is. They want to try to stay, you know, either keep the game tied or ultimately have a lead. Jermaine Wiggins is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Jermaine, if you're just looking at the key metrics, Philadelphia tremendous against the run, number one in all of football. How much confidence do you have the Patriots can run the ball in the Super Bowl if they have to? Well, I mean, I'm very confident if they have to run the football, but that's the thing with the Patriots. You don't need to run the football. You know, you got number 12 back there. If you looked at the game uh, against Jacksonville, they came out throwing the ball. You don't need 
to run the football. That's not how the Patriots are built. You know, when you look at a team like Philadelphia, they're more built in that way of, oh, we want to run the football. A uh, team like Jacksonville, we want to run the fo- football. When you have a quarterback like Tom Brady, you don't need to run the football. The passing game will open up those run plays for you. You just only need to run the football when you're in specific areas. Like at the end of the game, it's a third and nine. You run the football, you pick up the first down to ice the game. Um, if there are points and times in the game that you have to run the football, then you run it. But when you got Tom Brady as your quarterback running the football, something that you don't need to say, hey, we got to go out there and do. We just got to make sure we sprinkle it in so they respect the run and that potentially opens up play action. I think some may say, uh, Jermaine, that when you look at how this, this postseason has gone so far, there's a few quarterbacks that you didn't expect to be in the position they were in this past week. And, of course, Case Keenum, Blake Bortles, and Nick Foles. And, and, and Tom Brady, we somewhat expected him to be there. But the numbers that Nick Foles have put up over the past couple games in this postseason are numbers that no one thought of. I mean, I thought he had the better game from a quarterbacking standpoint in that game against the Minnesota Vikings. Can the New England Patriots get a little overconfident if they see that it's Nick Foles as the quarterback and thinking that he can't get it done because he is just Nick Foles? No, I, I, I don't think so because, uh, you know, not only I don't think so, I know it won't happen because Bill Belichick prepares those guys to never overlook their opponent. Plus, they know, look at what Blake Bortles was able to do in the first half of the game in the AFC Championship game. So it doesn't matter who the, what the quarterback's name is. If you don't take this quarterback serious, if you feel like or you take him lightly, he'll be able to go out there and make plays. And the Patriots never do that. They never take their opponent lightly. And so they won't do that with Nick Foles. They know that Nick Foles can make the throws. They know that if you give him an opportunity to make plays and you let guys run free, he'll be able to hit those receivers. What you have to do is make every window that he throws into extremely tight. Make it difficult uh, for him excuse me, with those windows, and put pressure on him so he's not feeling comfortable in that pocket. I think that's what the Patriots will be saying to themselves throughout the week uh, of, of getting ready in the week before the Super Bowl. He's Cordell Stewart. I'm Brian Weber talking Super Bowl with the Super Bowl champion Jermaine Wiggins, the former Patriots tight end, not looking beyond the challenge of the Eagles, but let's say the Patriots win another Super Bowl. How much longer do you think they can keep this going? Are you really buying the notion Brady can make it until he's 45 years old? I'm buying the notion that I think Brady's going to play at a high level for at least the next two to three years. And when I say a high level, I'm talking about a top five quarterback in the National Football League. Now, when you get past those three years, you have to then say, okay, how do we build our team? Can Brady be the type of quarterback? Now it's all based on injury, we know that. But the way Brady takes care of himself, the way the game is played from the neck up for him, can he put himself in a position to be a quarterback that can go out there you know, after the three years and say, hey, listen, don't go out there, don't lose games for us, be a quarterback that can manage the game, do some of those things. I think Brady's still going to be – you know, be able to be successful at that level. And I think if you're the Patriots, you kind of build the team around them. Maybe you you get into a situation where you bring a running back in that maybe you could take some of the pressure off of them and you run the football. Maybe your defense is a little bit more of a ball-hawking defense where you're able to create turnovers. So I, I definitely see this for the next two to three years. After that, I think it's going to be year to year based on how he feels. 
What do you think it's going to take? You don't have to let out the blueprint, but if you're looking at the Philadelphia Eagles and how they played in this last game and, and also seeing where there was moments and spurts in games where New England struggled, but the second half they just took over because of great adjustments, uh, what do you think it's going to take to, to beat the New England Patriots handily and, and, and just walk away with the victory? Well, it comes down to two things if you want to try to beat the Patriots. And the first thing is you've got to have good quarterback play. You've got to be able to go out there and have your quarterback play a mistake-free football game. And the second thing, which I think is probably the most important thing, is that coach on the other sideline, he cannot get conservative. He cannot get scared. He has to take chances. He has to be aggressive. Those are the things that you have to do. I know everybody says put pressure on the quarterback. Yes, if you put pressure on Brady, that's fine. But ultimately, when it gets down to it and it gets time to that, you know, where you got to turn that screw and you got to turn it tight, it comes down to the play of your quarterback and that coach saying, hey, listen, we're not going to take our foot off the, off the gas or maybe we're down by three, but we're going to take chances. And that's ultimately, I think that is the only way that when you look at teams that have beaten the Patriots, it's because of that. And and if you can't do that, you're not going to beat the Patriots. And I think ultimately that's what it comes, comes out to those two things in my opinion. Jermaine, great information as always. We appreciate you coming back on the show. I'm not as suburban as I sound, but I'm old school. So my hip-hop knowledge ends with the greats like Big Daddy, Kate, and Cool Mo D. What's in heavy rotation these days on your station, Hot 96.9 in Boston? Where are the kids listening to? I mean, that's not bad. I like Big Daddy Kane and Cool Moldy, but the kids are now into, you know, Drake, the Migos, you know, some of that kind of stuff. That's the stuff that's kind of hitting them hard now, you know, so they like the the music. You got to be able to evolve, though, you know what I mean? Even though you're a little bit older, you still got to be able to put some of that music into your uh, CD player and, and, and ride with, see what these kids are, are listening to nowadays, so keep up. Jermaine, do they make it in an A-track? That's what I'm rocking inside uh, my Chevy Nova. Yeah, I don't think they make it in an A-track. You're going to need the DeLorean for that one. You're going to have to go back to 1980 for that one. All right, next time we have you on the show, we're talking about the merits of Drake, because I don't think he's a hip-hop artist. Your thoughts? Uh, he's kind of, he's what you call now a pop hip-hop artist. Yes, he's not he is. a true hip-hop artist, but right. everything changes. Just like in football court, they will tell you, the game evolves. You either evolve with it or you get left in the past. There's no more three yards in a cloud of dust hand than the football off. You have to evolve, but that's kind of what hip-hop has become. you got to be able to evolve. Forget I hear about you. it. Pop goes the weasel because <laughs> the weasel goes pop. Thank you, Jermaine. We'll chat with there you after you the Super Bowl. Yep. All right. We'll talk to you later. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. It's a new year and time for you to explore new podcasts on TuneIn. What better way to celebrate the new year than taking a look back at the best podcasts of 2017? From news and politics to true crime, comedy, and history favorites, we've rounded up our favorites and there's something for everyone. Shows included Dirty John, S-Town, My Favorite Murder, Homecoming, Pod Save America. Start your new year with these podcasts and more. Just search podcasts on TuneIn today. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, it's time to focus on today's top headlines with Mike Jones from USA Today. Mike, thanks for taking the time. Since you're in Philadelphia, let's start there. We know Nick Foles has played solid football in the past, but how surprised were you that he was able to dissect the best defense in all of football for Minnesota? Well, I, I was definitely surprised the level that he played. You knew that, okay, he basically, the, the week 
before had just stayed out of the way. He did a good job of managing um, the, the game and letting the, the defense carry them and just didn't make any mistakes. But the question was, if he needed to, could he put that team on his back? And he was able to do it. I thought that Doug Peterson did a phenomenal job of helping him get into a rhythm with a lot of quick tempo passes early on. They used the read pass option to kind of hold off the pass rush because those guys weren't sure what was going to do. That little bit of hesitation helped them out. And then you just saw his confidence continue to grow throughout the game. And so Foles looked like the guy who made it to the Pro Bowl in 2013, not the guy who was in St. Louis and Kansas City and then complaining retirement uh, when things didn't work out there. So hats off to him, hats off to Doug Peterson for uh, setting him up to succeed. Along with the things that Doug Peterson did, and I don't think you know, gives en- enough tension is not given to this, but he brings in Chris Long from New England. He brings in Jay Ajayi through, free- through the trade from Miami Dolphins where Adam Gaze mentioned that he don't know what to do with his football team. The kids, this kid gets an opportunity to go to a Super Bowl. All Sean Jeffries coming out of Chicago with some of the issues and Nick Foles even that you just mentioned and a few other guys. How great of a job did Doug Peterson do to be able to put these guys in position to have success on this football team where other places, either they've been pretty good because the team was great like in New England or they were kind of shaking other places like in Chicago and also in Miami? Well, I think you got guys that had tasted success and, and knows what it takes to duplicate that. And he also got guys that were kind of hungry, had chips on their shoulder, you know. Um, and that all helped change the culture here. Um, guys have talked about what uh, LeGarrette Blunt and Chris Long have brought to that locker room because they were there with the Patriots and they you know, know the whole motto, just do your job and the way that they go about their business. And like you said, Ajay, Jeffries, those guys, their teams you know, basically gave up on them. You know? And so they wanted to go out there and prove that they can get this thing done, that they were wrong about them. And so all that has really fed into these Eagles where they embrace that role of being counted out. They embrace that underdog mentality and you saw them you know that's fueled them uh to some big wins mike jones of usa today as our guest on the nfl on tune in let's talk about minnesota mike you probably heard that mike zimmer today very non-committal about who his quarterback is going to be next year it's not his call entirely management ownership gets involved presumably case keenum keeps the job how do you think they approach keenum in the offseason financially well i mean i think you got to take care of him because the thing is if you you compare uh, Teddy Bridgewater, Sam Bradford, and Keenum. The one thing that Keenum has that the other guys don't is durability. And you know that you know you, you can't make plays for a team if you're not on the field, if you can't uh, count on them. I thought that they did a great job of, of bringing Keenum along uh, in that system. And, and you know you got to pay him, but okay, how much? You know the, the quarterback market goes up every single year. Um, you know he's not going to get $30 million or anything like that, but I just don't know where, where he falls in line there uh, for them. But it seems like that's the guy that they got to keep out of the three of them just because of the fact that you know that he can withstand the pounding. He can be, you know, he can do a lot of different things. He's more athletic than you realize. He can make big throws, and probably with continuity, he's only going to get better. Mike, what about the franchise tag? Would you hand Case Keenum $25 million bucks for one season next year? Um, well, you would obviously hope that you can get something worked out that you don't have to, more cap-friendly, but you have to ask yourself that question because, obviously, you want to continue to build. You don't want to hit the reset button every single year. And so 
You know, if you can't get something done and it's $25 million and this guy took you to the NFC Championship game, I think he was 11-3 and as a starter, um, you know, quarterbacks, good quality quarterbacks aren't just, you know, hanging around. They're not easy to find. And so that's probably something that they do have to think of. When you look at the, the other two quarterbacks, which guy would you keep around, though? Because Teddy Bridgewater is one that they like a lot. Uh, Sam Bradford, we know when he's healthy, he's probably one of the most accurate in the game. He can't stay healthy. So how do you massage that scenario of who becomes the guy to help out a Case Keenum or even compete for the job? It's it's really tough um, because you got to think, all right, which one of these guys, if you if you do sign Keenum, which one of them is the more affordable guy, but which one is the guy that if Keenum goes down for some reason, that he would help you continue to grow, you know what I mean? And you could remain competitive because as you saw this year, when Bradford went down, he had Keenum to step in there. Um, that answer, I don't know. I, I would have a real hard time giving up on Teddy Bridgewater. I know that he has had injuries, but he still seems like he has a high ceiling uh, when he's healthy. Um, I know that they probably wish that they could have seen him play some more before they could make this decision and things like that. Sam Bradford, I don't know. You kind of have seen this movie before. Yes, he had the highest completion percentage um, a couple years ago for a whole season. I think Drew Brees broke that record since. But, you know, like you said, he's one of the most accurate guys. But those injuries just continue to derail him. And so uh, both of those guys, I don't think it would break the bank, either one of them, because of their injuries and, and, and things like that. But you're not going to be able to afford to keep all three, I don't think. Chatting with Mike Jones of USA Today. Mike, too much negativity in our business, so let's celebrate the achievements of the Patriots. Going back to the Super Bowl second consecutive year, three times in the span of four years. Since you're the wordsmith, what adjectives come to mind when you think about what New England's accomplished over the last decade and a half? It's just uh, just impressive, you know. It's really hard to to get your mind around it. Just that this team, the the level of excellency and the standard that they've held for this long, um, you know, they won three out of four Super Bowls, and then they went into a little bit of a drought. But their drought was not a drought like most teams. They were still competitive, still in the thick of things, still, you know, just a game or two away there. And now they're back. Three of the last four, they're in the Super Bowl again. It's something that I don't know that we'll see again, um, you know, whenever this window closes, uh, you know, there's not going to be another Tom Brady. There's not going to be another Bill Belichick, that duo that you have right there. It's just something that you really better savor and enjoy uh, while, while it lasts. Mike, there's, there's two scenarios in the National Football League in a sense of having quarterback question marks on it, like the Case Keenum. Some are not thinking he should get that much, and some think he should. But what about Blake Bortles? You know, how do you handle his situation? Do you go in a draft and have someone come in? Uh, do you get a, go through free agency and bring someone in? Or do you just get rid of Blake Bortles and start all over again? Well, that's the thing. Is like, obviously, you know, Bortles did – he didn't totally impress throughout the whole year, but then he had times like December, he was the hottest quarterback, had the best quarterback rating of anybody in the league. And then against the Steelers, he obviously had that big game to get them to the the AFC championship game, but it's a matter of consistency. And I don't know that you want to go into next year, just banking on him improving. He's got his limitations. Um, You know, I wouldn't just totally scrap them, but I probably would bring in some competition. If, they, if the Jaguars can get an upgrade at quarterback, 
and I'm not talking drafting somebody. I'm saying like maybe a Kirk Cousins or you know maybe an Alex Smith or somebody like that that you can get in here. So you've got that great defense and you've got weapons on offense and you have a little more stability at that quarterback position, and that's probably what you want to go for. Um, but at the same time, you know, Bortles, I don't know. Is he going to continue to grow? Has he reached the ceiling? That's a question they have to ask themselves there. And like I said, I just don't know if we know enough to be able to make that commitment and just roll into another season with them and nobody else. Mike, since we have the Senior Bowl practices underway in Mobile, Alabama, let's wrap it up with the path to the draft. You've been on the road covering all these playoff games, I'm sure having conversations in the press box with quote-unquote football people. What are you hearing about Josh Allen of Wyoming? We're watching him right now on television. Tall, big arm, but he is not accurate. If we're talking about his statistical profile, Mike, less than 60% completion percentage throughout his career in Wyoming. Could you really see the Browns taking him with the number one overall pick? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it'd be hard, like you said, that, that completion percentage and all these stats in college, the way that the offenses are, are constructed now, you really got to take it with a grain of salt because everybody's throwing for 4,000 yards. But completion percentage is something that's big. Um, you're right. Uh, looking at him out here as well, he's got a live arm. But the accuracy is something, and you got to take out here with a little bit of grain of salt. They're running plays they've never run, running with wide receivers they've never played with and everything like that. But, you know, I don't know if you want to, if you're the Browns, take him right there. Or if you are, you want to make sure you've got a veteran that's there ahead of him that he can learn from and you can kind of group him. Because obviously he's got the measurables and things like that, but there's just, you know, some refining that needs to be done there. Mike, as always, we appreciate the information. Thanks for joining us again on the NFL on TuneIn. All right, thanks. You guys have a good one. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. TuneIn, your everything audio app.